Welcome to the Family Bible Journey. Do you want more good algorithms in your life? Did you know that when you subscribe to the podcast, when you follow us on Facebook and Instagram, when you like and love our posts and pages, the internet machine will find new ways to send good, encouraging content into your life? So please, subscribe, follow, like, and love away, that you can continue to be blessed and encouraged in your journey through the Bible. And as always, thanks for listening. This is episode 14, season 1 of the Family Bible Journey New Testament podcast. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 9. The title of today's podcast is The Heart of God. And our key verses for the chapter are chapter 9, verses 35 to the end of the chapter and 38. And when Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. In this chapter, we get to see Matthew actually insert himself with a little bit of an autobiographical content as he is called by Jesus to be one of his disciples. And I love how Matthew includes himself in this story because the portrayal that he gives of himself is not how to do this or how to be that or how to be a great this or how to be a great that. You know, there's so much self-help literature out there in the world and there are so many experts and so many leadership books that are just telling you, this is how I succeeded. Go ahead and do it just like me. Matthew kind of takes that tone, but he does so by assuming the lower place and acknowledging the fact that he was just doing his daily business like the fishermen were when they were called to follow Jesus' disciples. And Matthew was a tax collector. These guys were the worst. If, if used car salesmen and lawyers uh, and vacuum cleaner salesmen have a bad reputation, the tax collectors in the days of Jesus, they were all three wrapped up in one. They actually had a commission. They paid for a commission from the Roman government to be able to tax people. And they were always allowed to collect those taxes as long as they gave the share that was required by the Romans. Anything that they taxed above their quota, they got to keep. So in other words, the more that they put the screws to the people that were there, the more they made. And so they literally were profiting at the hands of a foreign government, an occupier, by taking money from their fellow citizens and taking money from the people in their community. And these taxing often happened along the Roman roads. We think of the Roman road system. It's this marvel of ancient technology and how it connected most of the known world at the time. And these tax collectors would sit at the Roman mile markers. You would pay a tax based upon how far you went on the road. It's kind of like an ancient toll road. And Matthew was sitting at a booth at one of these markers, apparently. And Jesus said, come and follow me. And, and he did. And he followed Jesus. And he followed Jesus by inviting Jesus and the disciples to come into his house. And Matthew invited all of his friends, which were all the people that most everybody else rejected, that they despised, that they abhorred, that they couldn't stand. And we, we hear that attitude in the sneer of the Pharisees who questioned Jesus' disciples when they see that Jesus is eating with Matthew and all these tax collectors and notorious sinners. But Jesus' response to those Pharisees and their criticism of him was great. He said, beginning in verse 12, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here, Jesus levels the playing field for all people. 
because he is telling the Pharisees that he is going to take care of and love and bless and forgive all who come to him asking for the help that he has offered them. But those who think that they are good enough maybe to get into heaven, those who think that they are good enough that they can get along without God, well, then he's not going to be able to help them. And it isn't because he is powerless to help them, but because he is not going to force his love on those who do not want it. And so the Pharisees, by rejecting Jesus here, are actually rejecting the love of God for themselves. And they are casting themselves off because God has given us as human beings that free will. It's, it's a little bit of a mystery to us how, how this works. But the reality is that we can respond positively to God's love because his Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts that recognizes the gifts that he offers us in Christ Jesus. Or we can just shut God out if we so choose. And that's what the Pharisees were at risk of doing. But Matthew and his friends, those who didn't deserve the love of God and recognized they didn't deserve the love of God, they were the ones who were welcomed with open arms by Jesus. And so this is a wonderful insertion of Matthew himself into his gospel where we get to see the true heart and the true character of God. And that is really what this whole chapter is about, the heart of God and the care and the love that he has for those who he encountered along his way during his earthly ministry. And that brings us to the key passages from the tail end of the chapter. Yes, I recognize that we're kind of skipping over some healing miracles here and some important ones at that, but I really want us to focus on the time that we have on this heart of God. Because we are told in verse 36 that when Jesus saw the crowds, that he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And I have that passage, by the way, for those of you who are journaling through the Bible, outlined in red because it shows us the true heart of God and it shows us the reason, the motivation for everything that God has done for us and the many promises of the Old Testament that he was going to save and rescue and redeem his people and the many wonderful ways that he rescued and saved and redeemed his Old Testament people. Now they're all coming to fulfillment in his son and we see that it's because he loves us and he has compassion for us. And there is a Greek word that is used to talk about the feeling that Jesus has towards his disciples. We don't do a lot of Greek in this podcast, but it's a really fun word to say because I'm not even sure exactly how to say it, but it's something along the lines of esplachnechach. It's it's got some some G's some a T a T H sound in there. Uh, it's it's a crazy complex Greek word that we really don't exactly I don't understand how it was said. But this idea of esplachnechtha would mean that he was compelled from the inside. Uh, the literal translation of it is that you know like your bowels are turned. If you think about something that turns your stomach, you know, usually when we think about things turning our stomach, it isn't uh, in a pleasant sense of the word. It's, it's usually something really gross or something really smelly. You know, if you have ever heard, ever smelled something that smelled so bad that it actually made you either vomit or want to vomit, you know, it's that kind of a feeling that God feels is this, this complete and utter repulsion towards the, the hurt and the pain of the people that he sees, that he has created, that he loves, who are, who are wandering around in this life without a shepherd, without any hope, without any love, without any joy, without any peace, with all sorts of afflictions and ailments and things that are diminishing their joy and diminishing the life that he created them to enjoy, it repulses him. And it repulses him in a way that it leads him to yearn for them and to want to give them everything that he can and everything that he has. And that is exactly why Jesus came from heaven to earth, that you and I, even though we don't deserve his love and mercy like Matthew and his friends who were notorious sinners, that we receive it nonetheless because we recognize 
that there is something missing, that there is something more to this life for us. And, and when we look around in the world and we see what's wrong with the world and we recognize that it, it, this, this wrong and this evil exists in a very orderly and harmonious creation where things tend to work the way that they do and yet they're broken and they, and they decay and they rust and they rot and they die. There is a dissonance in the creation that we can sense, even people who are not Christian can sense it. And, and this is what Jesus has come to heal. And, and, he, and he reaches out to those people who see this dissonance, they see the discontent, they see the disconnection in creation. And he comes to give them wholeness and peace by filling them with love and with hope and with the joy and the promise of everlasting life because he is going to live the perfect life in this broken down world in our place so that by his grace and by his love and by his mercy, by fulfilling the law for us, he is going to open heaven's doors to us so that when Christ returns in his glory, which is going to happen at some point in the future, we don't know exactly when, but it's on its way and it's going to happen, then all of the things of this world that don't make any sense to us, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, all that is going to be washed away. It's going to be wiped away. It's going to be destroyed. And what's going to be left is life as it was meant to be lived, where things are no longer going to break down and people are no longer going to die. And, and, and we're going to be able to build things, even build a sandcastle on a beach. And it's just going to stay there because it's going to be great. And things are going to last. And we don't know exactly what that existence looks like, but we know that that's what Jesus has promised his disciples, something that is beyond our imagination, something we can't even understand because we are so used to things being broken and hurting that we can't even imagine what life is like without the pain and the suffering and the sin that is such a normal part of our daily lives. And so we leave this chapter on that note that God has given us hope because of the love that he has for us. And we thank God in the very last verse of this chapter for sending people into our lives who tell us the good news of God's redeeming love. And so I want to encourage you to thank the people in your life who tell you this good news, but also be one of those people who are telling the good news by sharing what Jesus has done for you. And you know, a really easy way for you to do that is just to share the podcast where people can listen and hopefully be blessed. I want to encourage you to join in this labor, to share this love, to share this life, to share this hope, because when you do that, you are truly living into the heart of God, and you will, my friend, I promise you, get to see wonderful things happen in the lives of those who are transformed by the gospel in the community of faith. For all of you paper people listening, and I expect there are a few of you out there, especially since we are journaling our way through the Bible, if you would like to snail mail a letter or send a contribution, you can find our contact info, including our mailing address, at familybiblejourney.com. Our blessing for today. May you remember that Christ looks on you in love and longs to heal all of your wounds. Amen.